Amen. Happy Easter, Providence. Uh, If you're standing, go ahead, grab a seat. Uh, Man, I am excited that you have uh, joined us today. This is uh, one of the most exciting Sundays of the year. You know, this is the Sunday where we get to focus on the the core of our faith. We we get to focus on the most world-changing event in all of history. And today we get to just kind of stare at the beauty and the power of of what God has done. So I'm excited for today, um, but we need God's help if we are going to see this. And so, would you pray with me, and then we'll jump in. Father God, uh, thank you. As we've already sang, thank you. Um, God, we want to praise your name uh, for all that you have done, and for what we get to see you have done today. Um, God, we pray right now, would you speak to us Um, God, would you give us sharp minds that we would understand um, some of the beauty and the intricacy of what you've done, that you'd give us soft hearts, that we would actually worship you, that that at the end of this morning, we would be in a greater posture of worship and love for you. Spirit of God, would you be with us? Would you speak to us? And would you ignite a passion inside of us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Imagine for a moment that we're living in a worldwide pandemic. I know, hard to get your mind around uh, right now, but uh, I want to actually paint a hypothetical pandemic. So, not the current one that we're living in, but I want you to imagine um, a, a real worldwide pandemic where the infection rate for this illness or this virus is 100%. No immunity, no one can escape it. There's not maybe a chance you'll get it. 100% you will get it. Uh, now maybe take that another step, and, and not only is the infection rate 100%, but I want you to imagine that the fatality rate is 100%. Uh, just think about what would you actually feel? What, what would life be like if we knew there was this pandemic, this illness that was coming with 100% infection and fatality rate? Today, we're, we're actually living in a pandemic, and, and in the midst of this COVID-19 stuff, um, I know that it's, it's brought out a lot of fear and anxiety and worry. A lot of us have probably felt that over the last couple weeks. It feels kind of like the, the air that we're breathing. Uh, but even if we think about COVID-19, we all know that there's, there's a chance that we might get it. And for many of us, if we get it, um, there's a high probability that you'll probably get sick for a while, but that you will actually recover. And if that's the, the state of life right now, I want you to imagine, what would life actually be like if there wasn't just a chance you would get it, but it is coming for you? What would life be like if you knew there was something coming uh, that, that was coming for you that it was 100% fatal? Think of the actual emotions you would carry. Uh, Over the last couple of months here at Providence, we've been examining the story of God. And and we've kind of looked at this, we've seen different chapters of the story. We've seen God's plan, how God created a world and he created image bearers to be with him and enjoy life forever. Uh, We've seen God's family, that when the people that he created rebelled, 
that he actually said, I'm going I'm to bring a people together to be my own. We've seen God's deliverance that this people would need to be freed from their oppressors and from addictions. We've seen God's king that he was going to fix the problem by having an eternal king over an eternal kingdom. We've seen God's servant that he was going to send his own son to come and suffer in our place. And just this last Friday, we've seen God's cross. Uh, that the Son of God Himself would take a cross on our behalf. Yet if we were to stop the story right there, if the story ends on Friday with the cross, um, honestly that's a pretty crummy story. Because uh, so far, this story has great promises. The story has a lot of great intentions. Uh, and the story has uh, maybe a compassionate and merciful God, or a humble and loving Jesus But I want to highlight this morning that if the story of God ends with the cross, the story of God ends in defeat. Like, have you ever thought about that? That if if the message of Christianity or if our understanding of Christianity only goes so far as, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son to die on the cross, flip the page, the end. Uh, That's not a story of hope. That's not a story of victory. That, that's not a story um, that leads us to victory. It's a, it's a story of loving actions, but ultimately defeat. It's as if, uh, maybe think of a, a romantic comedy movie that you've seen, uh, and they all are kind of the same, if we're honest. You have the guy and the girl really early that you notice, okay, these are the two, they're going to get together at the end, and the whole movie, it's, I mean, why is she with this guy, why is this guy acting like this, but, but as the movie goes on, you kind of know, okay, their paths are crossing, the end of the story is going to be this loving, hope-filled moment where they finally get together, uh, but imagine five minutes before the end, uh, one of them dies. And it's just done. Like the movie's just over. You would think in your head, wait, that's not right. Like that's not how the story is supposed to go. But if the story of God ends on that Friday, ends with the cross, we have a story of a God who promised the world, but a king who died like a common criminal. At this point in the story, there's not very much hope. At this point in the story, there's still an an enemy that's lurking. There's a reality that is coming for us. There's an illness that had taken down our Savior and that's coming for you and I. But today, family, I want to tell you uh, that there's another chapter in the story. Uh, In the next chapter in the story, uh, we might call God's victory. Uh, Because while God's king did come to suffer and he did come to take the cross, there is another story of victory and hope. And the best part, what I want you to see today, is that God's victory is actually our victory. I want you to believe that this morning, that God's victory can be your victory. The, The hope and the promise that his victory brings can be yours. The enemy that God defeats is ultimately our enemy. The hope that God's victory brings can be our hope. That's what I want you to see this morning. I want us to to leave this time, this chapter, seeing that we can have victory and hope in God's victory. So to look at this chapter of the story, uh, let's turn to Isaiah 25 that Luke just read for us. Isaiah 25, and we're going to read the first five verses right away. Isaiah 25 says this, O Lord, you are my God. 
I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin, the foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry place. But you subdue the noise of the foreigners. As heat by the shade of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is put down." Uh, these five verses are essentially kind of a summary of where we've been at in the story of God, where, where we've gotten to so far. If you notice some of the language in here, Isaiah is saying, God, I know there are plans and promises that you have. Uh, I'm trusting, God, that you are going to be faithful to these things. I'm trusting that your word is true. It says these are plans and promises made of old. And, and he goes on to even say, and I'm seeing you start to work uh, like I'm seeing you work in my life. I will praise you for some of these deeds. I'm looking at the strong in these cities getting torn down by your hand. I'm looking at the, the lowly and the weak who are finding strength in your name. Isaiah is looking around saying, God, you've made promises. I'm trusting you for promises. I'm starting to see you work. I wonder if maybe you're, you're kind of at that place in the story this morning. Uh, maybe, maybe you have heard the promises of God. Maybe you've read some things in the Bible. You've been to church before and you've heard these things that people say about God. Maybe you've even seen some things in your life. If, if you've been on the, the daily formation text that we've been doing the last few weeks, every evening we spend some time just saying, this is what God's done in my life. This is what I'm grateful for. Maybe you've been in that place. You're trying to trust God. You've heard some of the promises. You're seeing some of the things that he does. That's, that's where Isaiah's at. And, and frankly, that's where we're at in the story. God's made some promises. He's done some good things. He's working in our life. But, but if the story were to actually end in verse 5, there's this major uh, promise that's unfulfilled. There's a, there's a major act that still has yet to be done. There's good and there's promises, but we haven't seen an ultimate victory over every one of our enemies. Uh, you know, at this point in the story, it, it makes me think a little bit of like an athlete who uh, has like a phenomenal regular season. Okay, so think of a, an athlete, great regular season, amazing stats. He's the team captain, uh, and maybe he's the MVP of the league. But when you get to playoff time, that guy doesn't show up. Like you maybe can think of some athletes. There have been a ton of athletes uh, over history. We've said that about LeBron James early in his career, that he had this freakish talent, but he couldn't win the big game. Today, there's a guy, James Harden, if you don't follow basketball, he's freakishly talented, great offensive skill, but the knock on him is when the pressure comes, he can't actually win in the end. And you start to ask questions like, can you really be great if you can't get all the way? If you can't play your best against the best competition, can a fan base really put hope in somebody who's good for a while but can't win the last battle? This may sound kind of weird, but that's essentially at where we're at in the story. That's the question that we could ask of God. God, you've made some promises. 
God, you've done some good in the world. Uh, Things are going okay, but when the final enemy comes, when this enemy that we have still approaches us at the end of our life, are you going to be victorious over it? Can you actually win in the end? Are you good for a while, or are you ultimately victorious? Well, to, to find out, we have to ask ourselves, what is this final hurdle? What is this thing that's facing all of us, this final enemy that we will face? Look at verse 7 of our text. Isaiah 25, 7 says, And he, this is speaking of God, will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. Do you, do you see the, the widespread nature of this? It's a veil over all the earth. It's a covering that each person will face. It says no one will escape this thing. It, it infects 100% of humans always. If you haven't guessed uh, what I'm getting at here, what the Bible says is that this final enemy, this covering and this veil over all peoples is death. You know, before Isaiah 25, uh, the last like preceding 10 chapters or so were all about judgment. And it's judgment on all these different peoples. It's judgment on Babylon, judgment on Moab, judgment on Cush and Egypt. And, and in fact, uh, this is a, a great little social distancing uh, exercise for you this afternoon if you want to read about judgment since you're not feasting with your family. But it's just 10 chapters of judgment. And at the very end of it, Isaiah says, you know what? If I haven't mentioned you, there's judgment on the whole earth. Like he says, every corner of the earth, every person that has lived, there's judgment for. And he goes on to say that the reason that there's judgment coming uh, is because we all have sinned. Uh, because we have rebelled from our God. And the Bible says that the consequence, that the payment for our sin is the judgment of death. The ultimate consequence that each of us will face because of our sin is death. It is, the Bible says, the last enemy of God's people. It's the final thing that's coming for all of us. It's, it's inescapable. If you are a human, you will face death. There's not a chance you will be infected with this idea of death. There's a 100% certainty that death is coming. Uh, there's been a number of articles over the last few years uh, that have highlighted different people that are attempting to do some research uh, to basically prevent death or anti-aging research. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, who's the founder of Facebook, a few years ago he pledged three billion dollars over the course of ten years to try to invest in cures for a variety of diseases, uh, one of which was death prevention. He said this, I'm most interested in questions about people. Catch this. He says, what will enable us to live forever? How do we cure all diseases? One of the co-founders of PayPal said, I've always had this really strong sense that death was a terrible, terrible thing. Therefore, he invested millions into death prevention. Uh, Business Insider reported a few years ago, there was like six or seven uh, billionaires who pooled their resources together to to fund researchers and scientists and medical professionals to try and prevent some, or to come up with some sort of anti-aging procedure. What they're all saying is what we all know to be true. Death is inevitable. 
And so they're pooling their resources to try to answer this one question. How do we overcome death? Now, I'm assuming you're probably not pooling millions of dollars to try and do this. But I think for all of us, um, there's something in us that says death is unnatural and we want to try to avoid it. Uh, maybe you do things like you just, you don't really like talking about it. Even as I'm saying this, you're kind of feeling uncomfortable and you don't want to mention or talk about death. And you think if I can just put it aside and be blissfully ignorant, I'll just never actually have to face it. Or, or maybe you take the uh, Chris Traeger approach and, and you decide I'm going to be as healthy as I can and I'm going to live till I'm 150 and somehow I'm just going to push death off forever. You know, the Bible communicates what these billionaires are saying, what we experience to be true. Death is unnatural. Death is something we want to avoid, and death needs to be overcome. But this is where God steps in. Let me read these verses, the promise that he gives in Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Do you hear the promise of God in these passages? He promises, one day I will swallow up death. One day I will wipe away every tear. One day I will set up a feast on a mountain for my people. One day there will be salvation. One day my people will behold who I am finally and fully. We'll feast with him and we will be with him. No fear of death. Death will be gone. Now think about Isaiah 25, having that in mind generation after generation of Israelites are born, they live, many of them trust in God, and then they die. Uh, People hear the promises of God. He's going to be victorious. He's going to win. He's going to swallow up death forever. And then each generation comes and they face the same fate as before. Can death truly be overcome? I bet they're thinking. Uh, Can life eternal actually be possible for anyone? God has promised to defeat death, and yet everyone continues to die. Then, hundreds of years later, this 30-year-old rabbi begins to walk around in Israel. And he begins to teach about God and life with him. He, he talks of a kingdom that God has promised. He begins to heal the sick and give the blind their sight. He makes claims that he's sent from the Father, that he's the great shepherd and that he's the light of the world. Then in John 11, we see this really interesting scene begin to unfold. Uh, one of Jesus' best friends, Lazarus, he, he suddenly dies. Uh, and then his sister, Martha, she, she meets Jesus at the tomb a few days later when Jesus gets on the scene. And Martha begins to rebuke him. 
Uh, She says things like, Jesus, if you would have gotten here sooner, you could have healed him. Uh, You're the great healer. You're the one who can help him. If you would have been here, you could have saved him from death. You see, Martha's thinking a lot like us, right? She's thinking, Jesus, you're a healer up until the point of death. You know, she's thinking, Jesus, you're the, you're the James Harden, you're good for a while, but, but nobody can defeat death. Now it's too late. You've showed up too late. Death is uh, impenetrable. It's undefeated. Jesus softly tells her, don't worry, Lazarus will rise again. To which Martha kind of seemingly dismisses this. Uh, she says, yeah, I know, the, the resurrection one day. But then catch how Jesus responds in John eleven twenty five 25 and 26. He says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. This is one of the most monumental claims Jesus will make in his earthly ministry. Uh, What Jesus is claiming is that death actually will not win in the end. It's not ultimate. That death can be defeated. Uh, That there is going to be some power that's greater than death. Uh, Now think back. Think to Isaiah 25. He's speaking like he believes the promise of God in Isaiah 25 that one day death will be swallowed up. One day tears will be gone. One day God will be victorious over our enemy. Maybe you today uh, have begun to think, like Martha, uh, that death is the end. Maybe you've started to believe that, that there really isn't hope beyond this life. Maybe you haven't seen uh, how God could actually be victorious in the end. You, you hear these things, you hear Jesus say, I'm the resurrection and the life, and you think that's a nice religious sentiment. That, that's a nice idea, but I'm still looking at death at the end of my life. Uh, But Jesus in this passage claims, he's not pointing you somewhere else, he's saying, look, to you who needs hope this morning, he's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He's saying, this is found in me alone. He is promising life eternal. And if that's not enough, he goes on, he says, if you believe in me, even if you die, even if you physically fall asleep in this world, he said, if you believe in me, you will not taste death. Don't miss the weight of that. The question that Zuckerberg and people have been asking for years, how can death be overcome? Jesus says, if you believe in me, you may physically die, but you will not die. You may physically fall asleep. Your life here may end, but you will have life eternal. God promised to overcome death. He promised to swallow it up. When Jesus walked the earth, he said, I am going to be the one that actually can defeat death. How could this actually be? Well, not too long after John 11 comes the the scene that we just talked about on Friday, uh, that Jesus would give himself over and be a sacrifice on a cross. He, He gives himself up out of love for the forgiveness of our sins. Yet, on that cross, on Friday night, it seems as if death has won again. The resurrection and the life lost his life on Friday. And as they take him off the cross and they wrap his body up and they lay him in the tomb, all signs point to death 
has won again. Even God's own son could not hold off death. God didn't swallow up death. The son of God succumbed to death. Friday ends with death winning. Saturday continues with death reigning. Yet on Sunday morning, Jesus revealed himself not to be the lamb who was slain in the tomb, but Jesus on Sunday morning came roaring like a lion out of the tomb. On that Sunday morning that we now remember as Easter, Jesus did not succumb to the fate of every other person, but Jesus actually defeated death. On that day, 2,000 years ago, Jesus ripped the keys of death away from Satan. And on that day, Jesus revealed that he only succumbed to death. He only gave himself to death in order that he could actually swallow it up. On that day, God swallowed up death once and for all. On that day, Jesus became victorious, the one who could give life because he's the one who actually defeated death. You know, every other person in all of time, every person just like us has walked this earth and has come to the end and died. Uh, It could be cancer, it could be a car accident, it could be an illness, it, it could be of old age. The means may change, but the outcome is the same for everyone. Yet this passage says that for those who believe in Christ, death has not overcome. That death has not held them down. In this moment, those who believe in Jesus can experience the victory of Jesus' resurrection. They can experience the hope of life after death. They can experience the victory that Jesus has over death. On that day, Jesus rose again. He defeated death once and he defeated death for all that trust in him. On that day, we see God's victory. Uh, If you were looking at that John 11 passage, maybe you noticed that I left off a sentence at the end. Do you notice that? That after he said, if you believe in me, if you have life, you will never die. Do you notice the question he put on the end? Verse 26 ends this way. He says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the one who's going to swallow up death. I am the one that if you trust in me, you may physically die, but you will not actually die. He says, do you believe this? If John 11, 25 and 26 is true, and if you say that you believe this, that is a reality for you now. And so I want you to wrestle with right now, would you say, yes, I believe this. I believe that Jesus was the resurrection and life. I believe that God raised him from the dead. I believe that my life is now in his hands. That although I died with him, I will one day raise with him. If you believe that, you are not a person of of death. And you are not a person of despair. You are a person of life. You know what your reality is now? You know what your future is headed towards? If you would believe in Jesus... Uh, Revelation 21, uh, you know what's funny? It actually quotes Isaiah 25. It's talking about the new heavens, the new earth, the life to come. And, and he quotes Isaiah 25. And he says, on that day, your tears will be wiped away. On that day, all of the pain that you fear or feel will be gone. On that day, he says, death will be no more. Can you imagine such a beautiful scene? Just life salvation, and feasting with our God. He says, on that day, we will finally behold 
our God. He will be our salvation. He will be our victory. And death will not be a thought in our minds. Tears are gone. Pain is gone. Death is gone forever. I want you to go back um, to the idea that I gave you at the introduction. Uh, Think about the beginning of the sermon and, and think about if we were to face the reality that death really is coming. That that's our reality. That it is, as the Bible says, our last enemy. It's the last thing that you have to deal with and face. But let's also say the reality is true that, that Jesus didn't just live a good life, but he died for us and he rose again for us. If, if you've trusted in him and that is who you are now, I want to leave you with one question. How would that change your life? Think about living in a life full of fear and anxiety, a life filled with this illness that is coming, this death that that cannot be defeated, and imagine all of a sudden you realized one day you're immune. It can't touch you. Fear of death can be no more. That, That death cannot come after you. In a world full of death and people headed towards death, you are now a person of life. You are now a person that is fully immune. How would that actually change how you live? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that changes everything. That if the resurrection is real, that changes everything about us. Because at that point, death cannot hold us down. We don't have to fear death. Because you may physically die, but you will not actually die. That means that we are now a people of life, not of death. We are a people of hope, not of despair. We are a people of victory and power not a people of defeat. This is what it means for God's victory to be our victory. This is what it means for Jesus to have raised from the dead to be the hope of the church, of us, and of you. How would that actually change you? How should that change our lives? Imagine a church that was just a people of life, a people that had no fear of death, a people that did not worry about these things because we know even if we die, we will live. That is the truth for us. That's God's victory. That's our victory. And that's our hope this morning. Let me pray. Father, thank you. God, we praise you uh, for what you have done. We praise you um, that we had an eternal problem of death and of separation from you, but God, you have swallowed up death in Jesus Christ. That Jesus, you have become victorious and you reign over all things. God, we know that you are alive today, that Jesus, you are sitting on your throne and you are giving life to everyone that trusts in you. I pray right now for people that need to believe this, that need to believe that you have conquered death, that it is, it is not coming for us anymore. Would you help them to see that reality and would you save them today? Would you give them eternal life right now in this moment? Would you remove the fear of death, remove any fear and worry and would they be filled with joy and life? And God, for us as a church, Would we be a people of life? Would we not be a people that are are fearful of death or what it brings, but would we be a people that experience life, that give life, that feel that we are immune? God, would you help us in this? We pray this in Jesus' name.